the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. With this special episode of the podcast, Brad Geiger, Neil Langland, and I will take a look at the CU recruiting class of 2022. Ever since the early signing day was moved from the first week of February to the middle of December, the signing day hype has lessened. But the fact remains that over 20% of CU's 2022 roster signed letters of intent on December 15th. We'll be taking a look at how the CU class stacks up, both nationally and in the Pac-12, before taking a deep dive, going position group by position group to give you our thoughts on the new buffs, as well as the notes and quotes from signing day. With CU heading into its offseason, it's all the more important for you to subscribe to the podcast so you will be alerted as soon as each new podcast is posted. We will be putting together a year-end podcast for your New Year's enjoyment, and then be back every few weeks with breaking news and specific off-season topics of interest. Glass half full? CU produced a class which was ranked fourth in the Pac-12 by rivals. Glass half empty? CU didn't sign a single consensus four-star prospect. Will the class of 2022 be the class which leads the buffs to sustained future success or continued mediocrity? Let's find out. Okay, we are back after a couple of weeks off, so everyone is well-rested and well-versed. And we're talking with Brad Geiger from Highlands Ranch. How's Brad doing this evening? Doing well today. Windy, blustery day. Had to go out and tie down the patio furniture twice. But other than that, nice day in Colorado. Okay. Well, we had 8 to 10 inches of snow here last night, so not much sympathy from Bozeman. Neil, how the building swaying down in Larimer Square today with all the wind? Well, interestingly enough, we have a couple buildings that have mirrored windows, and I could just watch those mirrors move and flicker as we were having our heaviest wind early in the day. But since then, it settled down to just another quiet day downtown. Okay. Well, it wasn't a quiet day in Boulder. Early signing day technically goes through Friday the 17th, but... Most of the signees are going to be in, I think, doing the ticker this morning. I think we had probably 
10 of the 19 in by eight o'clock this morning. And the other ones mostly because the rules say you can't sign on until 7 a.m. local time. So we had West Coast kids that couldn't officially become buffs until after 8 a.m. And well, we had someone from America, Samoa, that couldn't actually become a buff until 11 a.m. Mountain Time. So they trickled in after that, but uh, pretty much held the form. There was one flip, did gain an extra player and lost the player from the commitment list. But 19 new buffs have signed letters of intent as of Wednesday night signing day when we're recording this. Brad? Tell us what you think about the uh, overall picture of the CU recruiting class of uh, 2022. Well, this was, with perhaps the exception of we would have liked some larger young men, this was a solid class. And it is probably the kind of class that we're going to have to get used to a little bit. Solid athletes, people who have performed at a high level in their high school, not the five stars that Alabama is getting, um, but certainly people who look like on all levels know how to play football and know what they're doing and can grow into a solid college program. For the year we had, for continuing to be a pandemic year, uh, I think satisfied is a nice word for it. Okay. Neil, would you uh, give it a, a decent grade? To just overall picture, we'll talk about some specifics here, but uh, I put up a poll on ABCD grades on the See You at the Game website, and at least initially, 70% of the voters gave it a, a solid B. Would that be your grade for the, the class of 22, or do you have more praise or more criticism? Uh, some of each. I like to diversify that portfolio. So... I'll just say the group seems to have a lot of potential. The offensive linemen, uh, the linebackers, uh, even the quarterback, I think there's reason to expect that they can develop into real Pac-12 Power 5 players that have a chance for CU to make bowls during their time here. I'm a little bit unhappy about the lack of offensive linemen, the two guys they got seem to have pretty good credentials and a lot of upside. I'm not sure about the defensive linemen they've got, but in other position groups, they're not standouts like Brad said, but I can see why the coaching staff liked them because they can project well if they come in and do all the physical training necessary and pick up the, the college game. This could be a pretty good class. Okay. Well, I would say that probably Neil Welk from cuboss.com, formerly of the Bowler Daily Camera, who's been following the buses about as many decades as we have. Uh, his column at cuboss.com, the quote that stuck out to me, Brad, and I think this you probably agree with this, might be overall as solid of a group as CU is signed in years. Now, solid you agree with, but would it be the most, as solid as you've seen in years? You know, Tucker's last group had a few higher players. Top to bottom in terms of, I mean, there, there aren't a couple of the highs that Tucker pulled in. 
then again, those guys didn't work out either. But as Walt correctly pointed out, there's no reaches here. Every one of these kids, somebody thought could play at our level. Somebody else thought could play at our level. Um, they're not just filling out rosters. They're finding guys at positions, I think, of need. Again, I would have loved another defensive lineman. And people who have, for the most part, the physical skills to play. Um, now we need to coach them up. Okay. Well, Neil, currently, and this is still in flux as we sit here on Wednesday night because there are more players coming in, more players, more commitments, and things are going to happen before the class of 22 is finally put to rest. But currently, Colorado is sitting at number four in the Pac-12, ranked 41st in the country. Now that compares to ninth in the Pac-12 and 63rd last year at, at Rivals. Not quite as optimistic, sixth in the Pac-12, 48th to 24-7 sports. And 24-7 sports was not happy with CU last year either, Terrell, uh, Durrell's first full class, 64th and 10th. So by either measure, it's an improved class. Carl Durrell talked a lot today at his press conference about this was their first chance to actually go out and go in person and recruit this as he considers it to be his first full recruiting class. Is 41st and 4th in the Pac-12 satisfactory or exceptional or just is what it is? Just a brief digression on the algorithms and the computational formulas they use and services that you quoted. Typically, it's the number of players times their, it's the player times their rating such that the more players in a class, the higher the points total that there will be. The more meaningful statistic, I think, is the average rating, if we're going to put any trust in this stuff at all. And in that metric, CU falls generally around 9 or 10 in the conference on average rating. And if we rely on that, then it's not a great class. But... I don't put a lot of stock in what those rating services do and how they compute it. I think it's more of a, an intuitive measure that has to hold up. So I think that this class can improve and has enough potential to raise the average level of achievement for the bus so that they are year-to-year bowl-eligible competitors. The only difficulty I have with the class so far is it doesn't seem that there is a great deal of immediate help in the areas of greatest need. So that's where we have to concentrate. And I, I think it's going to be a year or two before this class really starts to show itself. Yeah. Well, Brad, you mentioned that, you know, the trenches, two offensive linemen, one defensive lineman, and you you know certainly an area of need there's attrition there there's a lot of players into the transfer portal there is it something where looking at how this Carl Durrell coaching staff used the transfer portal last year to bring in players and the idea with especially offensive linemen we would have you know even have an offensive lineman that's is graduating early and is coming to Boulder in January. But traditionally, if you're going to have an offensive lineman, 
if they're playing as a freshman, you've done something wrong and you're in, you're in dire straits that you would want them in the weight room. You want their technique to improve because there's a big difference between blocking high school kids and blocking 300 pound defensive linemen that are faster than you are. Is it maybe the strategy of this coaching staff that the transfer portal is the means by which you improve the trenches rather than through traditional high school recruits? I hope so. Um, I Listen, I think Travis Craig out of Aurora has a capacity in a couple of years to be just a mauler. If you watch that kid, he puts his hands on people and moves them. But I think for next year, I would be very surprised if we don't see a couple of uh, two or three uh, linemen come in to try to work on that side of the field. You know, the hope is that if you're tired of playing third string at Iowa or Tennessee, you've already had some coaching and you're willing to come here and start. Um, as you said, these classes anymore, these classes are unfinished until after the transfer portal's done. And so we won't know until spring practice who's actually coming in. Right. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about the 19 players who are coming in. Most people are going to always focus on the offense and on the skill positions. Neil, you want to talk a little bit about Owen McCowan, our new quarterback? Um, got some nice stats, got some nice lineage. What, if anything, impresses you about uh, CU's quarterback recruit from the class of 2022? I'm trying to view him as an analog to the nice quarterback we had from Texas so a couple decades ago that really was of a similar build, but was from a coach's family or a professional player's family, knew the game inside and out. And I'm hoping he can develop in that along that way. I saw his interview on the video published by the CU athletic department. He's impressive in that regard. I'm just hoping that physically he's going to be able to develop to the point where he can take the physical pounding that he's going to take here if he's playing. And I think he's a project probably two, maybe three years out in terms of being able to adapt fully to the college game. But I think he's a good get. And he could really be a game manager type of quarterback that would fit real nice with what we have now. Okay. Well, since Neil wasn't willing to name names, Brad, um, <laughs> you know, whether or not we're talking about Coy Detmer or we're talking about Cody Hawkins, yes, I think he's probably referring to the Detmer family out of Texas mm -hmm. that uh, the last CU quarterback to be drafted into the NFL, Coy Detmer, 1997, seventh-round pick, Philadelphia Eagles. It's been a while, but – Owen McCallum, Brad, is, is 6'2", 175 pounds. If, if he was 6'4", 225, he'd be a five-star going to Alabama. Yeah. Or Georgia or whatever. Okay. he uh, The only thing, everybody loves it in terms of his brain power, in terms of how he understands the game. You know, this kid was watching film at three, you suspect, um, <laughs> and, and breaking it down. So – you know, some folks grow in college. I agree that he is not going to start at quarterback next year. He's going to redshirt. But if he 
develops physically, he's got a chance to be special. And, you know, there's, there's every reason to be excited. There are people, there are other teams that were willing to take. He's not a flyer. He is an accomplished high school quarterback. He just, if he was a little bigger and if he gets a little bigger, he could be special. The mystique of having a southpaw at quarterback kind of adds to it a little bit. I'd like to see – it's kind of fun to watch those guys, uh, like Stabler and some of the other guys that have come through. There's just something different about the way southpaws throw the ball. Yeah, well, he's certainly a project. He's not going to be coming in in January. He's not going to be here till the summer. So by all – accounts by all reason by all rationale if he's playing at all in 2021 it's going to be Carl Durrell's last season you know because that means again all of our quarterbacks have gotten hurt and we're down to the final options but yeah you know when you're playing in Texas and you have 3,300 yards in passing 36 touchdowns and four interceptions that's that's a ratio I think we could live with and yeah student of the game um, his father was coached by Carl Durrell. He's known the family for years. So let's hope that we don't have to talk about Owen McCown for several years, but in the future, we're going to be very excited about Owen McCown. One player we could get excited about as early as this fall is the running back recruit. Neil, you, you said you watched some film. Um, Victor Venn from Buford, Georgia, one of two players signed from Buford, Georgia, you know, three-time state champion. Victor Venn, 5'10", 175 pounds. You have to be pretty excited about uh, CU's recruits at running back this year. I watched Venn. He reminded me of Speedy, um, of Rodney Stewart, in a way, the way that he approached um, the ball, the way he could uh, run the ball from various formations, his overall speed and shiftiness. And just the grace and smoothness with which he moved. He he does look like a prospect that might get a little playing time this year, but I'd like to see him put on a few pounds uh, so that he is at least the same size as our current running backs. Um, so he's probably a year away, but he does have great potential. I hate to keep saying that, but he just looks like he's not quite ready for the college game. Right. Well, Brad, he is. 5'10", 175 pounds. Uh, Darren Hagan says he thrives on competition, has good hips, good hands, really good vision. And you guys correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, I actually think I had the same recollection that you did, Neil. It was Rodney Stewart from, or, uh, from Ohio. I think we had a running back that we got on signing day. We didn't know anything about him. It was just like a throw-in. And I remember watching his film and went, wow, you know, if he just returns kicks for four years, you know, he'd be a Ben Kelly kind of player. And yeah, I think Daryl Sproles, you know, that type of player, I I think the running back room would uh, be happy to have Victor Van. What do you think, Brad? I think right now I haven't seen a lot of him. What little we've seen, it appears he can catch the ball. He can be that kind of change of pace back uh, for now. Yeah, would we like 20 pounds on him? I think it, I suspect he'll have that by fall. But uh, he's got – one thing I noticed in his highlights is he's got patience that's unusual for a kid his age. Um, he doesn't avoid contact, but he's one of those guys who makes people miss. 
and who in, I think in space, and God knows we throw enough passes to the flat that he might <laughs> be able to um, make something out of some of those plays. He's a lot less of a straight ahead runner than we have on the field right now. Okay. Well, he could, he could be effective in the slot too, as a receiver, perhaps. Too. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's one of those, I agree, get him the ball in space and see what happens. So he might be on the field as early as this fall. The CU wide receiver core added three players, and oddly enough, two of them signed on with CU after its offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach was fired. So, yeah, I'm just going to kind of lump them together as a group, or you can give me some individual thoughts. Uh, Jordan Tyson, Chase Sowell, and the flip that CU got early on signing day, uh, Grant Page from Boulder Fairview. What were your thoughts of the three receivers that Colorado picked up this year? I like them all. I've seen a little bit of highlight from them, and they all seem to be the lanky basketball body type of guys that have some speed, that have good hands, that uh, will fight for a 50-50 ball. and who are a bit elusive too, and have, I think, excellent ball and body skills. Some of those guys may see the field this year, depending upon who uh, stays and what happens with the transfer portal. But if any group has immediate impact, I think it would be one from that group. Okay. Well, Brad, Carl Durrell in his press conference today talked about how all these players were 6'2", 6'3" that he liked to get wide receivers that were taller than he is. And that seems to be getting away from the little gnats, speedy little gnats, and more towards the big bodies that can make their own space when it comes to catching the ball. Again, the words like tremendous upside was thrown around a lot with these receivers. Anything about those receivers that uh, impresses you or stands out to you? Well, I'm always going to stand out when we steal somebody from the Huskers. So welcome, Grant Page. (laughs) Uh, You know, old rivalries run very, very deep. Again, this is how this how the game has evolved. You you there's not a lot of room for five ten speedsters anymore. Even though we don't put hands on as much as we used to anymore, this is uh, this is riches to what was already a strong uh, room. Um, It will be interesting to see over the next few years who gets the balls. There's going to be some attrition there, but these guys are going to be uh, particularly in the mix. Um, I'm very excited. It also, I think, speaks to how do we put this? I don't think Carl Durrell recruited the go- those guys saying that we're going to be three yards in a cloud of dust kind of team. Yeah. I'm hoping that that's reflecting that Carl's look at the offense is that we are going to be more open. We're going to throw the ball more. We are not going to be as perhaps pedestrian as we showed sometimes this season. Yeah. Well, Neil, the couple things that concern me perhaps, well, first of all, that, that, uh, that the interesting, I think it was Brian Hell from the Boulder Daily Camera pointed out that this was the first Boulder Fairview signee for CU since 2002, which is a little sad, but it is, yeah, a double bonus, not only getting a flip, but 
getting an in-state kid, and oh, by the way, flipping a Nebraska commit that had been you know with Husker since June. And there are good stats. The problem I may be seeing is that, yes, he likes to get tall receivers, big receivers, lanky receivers with tremendous upside, tremendous athletes. But did we just get three of the same guy? And all we're going to do is have two of them transfer out in a year and a half. That's a good point. Um, In terms of having enough ball to go around for those three guys, if they open the offense, as we've been speculating, then they'll make a nice trio. They could be another three amigos sort of thing. But I think with the receivers that are graduating or will graduate in a couple of three years, I think there's going to be enough room for all three of those guys. And it's um, the other point that you mentioned is that Darrell, in turning this kid from Fairview, he was able to reestablish some links between talented Colorado players that stay at home. If one looks at the recruiting services, the other top five or six are all going out of state. So trying to reestablish that is a very good thing. And um, whether the kid stays or not, I think depends upon how much the offense opens up and whether we can put together an O-line and uh, a quarterback, because I think that's the, the thing that may be troubling some of the receivers currently on the roster is that no matter how skilled they may be, there's no one to get them the ball. Yes. If you can't have a quarterback that has enough arm or enough time to throw, it certainly would detract from your ability to run up a bunch of stats. Brad Calderell talked pretty much about having a 60-40 offense in terms of passing versus rushing. But we've also heard for years and years about using the tight end at the University of Colorado, which for some reason never quite seems to come to pass. Um, So you did sign a 6'6", 235-pound tight end, Zach Courtney. He's number 22 tight end nationally. And 390 yards, five touchdowns receiving. Also had 212 career tackles as a defensive end. Mm-hmm. So, so you picked up an athlete at tight end, but uh, just somebody else on the roster that's taking up space until Colorado decides to use tight ends? You know, we, we joked at times this season about, are we just going to sign another tight end? Yeah, yeah. You wonder about that position. Uh, But as we pointed out, guys who play tight end are really handy on special teams and have some roles there. Somebody has to step up. Somebody has to make that work. You know, we all love Brady Russell, and there were times that he was a big part of the offense. Brady, honestly, was not the greatest athlete we've ever had at that position. Um, It feels like we have a large selection of mediocrity at that position, and it would be nice if Courtney could grow into that. I mean, he is the right size. He is what we expect now from a tight end. You know, a a lanky um, receiver played basketball, which is where all the tight ends are coming from now and have been for a decade. You know, we need somebody to step up that position and show more physical talent. Love Brady Russell's attitude, um, but the next linebacker he outruns will be the first. (laughs) Um, And I'm hoping that, uh, that Courtney can do a little bit better than that. 
Okay. Anything stand out to you, Neil, about Zach Courtney, or is this just going to be fifth on the depth chart until he becomes fourth on the depth chart until he is no longer with the team three years from now? Well, I think Brad raises good points. What I noticed about this kid from both his offensive and defensive play is that he is a beast. I think he could play in line as a Y or he could be a move tight end at H. He has the possibility to do both. And he seems just in in his highlights far more physical than any of the guys currently on the roster. I think he has a chance to leapfrog some of the current guys if he can adapt quickly. I'm not sure if he's coming in in January or in June, but this kid really impressed me. Okay. Well, always fingers crossed for the next great tight end at the University of Colorado. Not holding my breath, but wish him luck and wish him well and hope he uh, is in the roster and the lineup in the next couple of years. Neil, you know, we did get two offensive linemen. Uh, Carter Edwards, 6'5", 280. Travis Gray, 6'7", 295. I didn't have kids in my high school that were walking around like that, but uh, <laughs> apparently they exist a pretty common these days. And Carl Durrell talked about both of them being tackles. They were very aggressive, very intelligent. Uh, Gray is a legacy. His father played for the national championship team. It would have been nice to have more than two offensive tackles, but Neil, you happy with the two offensive tackles that <coughs> CU did get on signing day 2022? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to go again with potential uh, in the highlights and in the discussion. I think the, the kid from Cherry Creek, the legacy kid was described as someone who had not been playing tackle for a long time and needed some seasoning my sense is that he plays a little high right now. He's at his height at six seven. Needs to learn to bend a little bit, but I think he's probably a year away, just in terms of technique and filling out his body. But as Brad said, this kid gets his hands on you. He controls people. He uses that length of his arms to really control defensive linemen and linebackers. So I, I think he has some natural talent that if allowed to develop properly under good coaching, which is sort of up in the air right now, how that's going to shake out. But in the proper environment, this kid could be a three-year starter. Yeah, I think you would probably agree with that, with that, Brad. I mean, I some of the film, again, these guys are going up against, you know, defensive ends that are 5'11", 180, and they're just men against boys. But there were some impressive film clips on both Edwards and Gray. So again, we're not probably, hopefully not going to see the, although Carl Durrell said that Travis Gray is going to be coming in early and, you know, may have a chance to participate as a player on the roster in 2022. Again, hopefully get some more through the transfer portal, but you have to at least like the two that we got. Well, I do. I, I can clearly remember. I can't remember who it was got, we picked up way back in our time and, and the coach said, well, he's six, seven, 275, but he's got the frame to get big. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's Carter Edwards. You know, he's big and lanky right now. And if he starts spreading out, he's got the capacity to be a road grader. And like I said, I think Travis Gray, again, I agree, Neil, he, he, he get, needs to get over his hips a little bit more, but up against 
clearly lesser talent. He just scared people. I saw one highlight where he essentially pushed the defensive end into the linebacker and then got in the way of the cornerback. Yeah. He's These are big, strong-looking guys who, if our strength and conditioning coach is who we think he is, can turn them into bigger and stronger guys, I think, that could – I agree. Uh, both of these guys could see some time – not next year, but the year after, and start working their way into the rotation pretty early. Okay. Well, hopefully. Context, sorry, Stu, is that the person that comes to mind in CU history that is similar or was similar to these kids is Nate Solder, who mm-hmm. came in at 6'7", 6'8", and 230 or 240, and was 315 and a first-round draft pick before he was done. These kids may not have that much potential, but they have a lot. Okay, well, speaking of potential, the lone defensive lineman uh, was Aaron Austin, the defensive coordinator, Chris Wilson, said could be a three-down player, describing as somebody that could stay on the field regardless of run or pass situations. And again, 6'3", but only 250 pounds. So another Shannon Turley prospect to work on. Is Aaron Austin a player or just another body until some transfer portal defensive players, defensive ends can get on the roster? Are you excited about Aaron Austin or is it just another project? I would say he's probably not going to be able to grow into a five technique in a three, four. He may be an outside linebacker, uh, you know, that is in the mold of our current outside linebacker that's six, four, 250, 245. That may be his game. It's just too early to tell now. But in terms of playing him on the interior, I, I don't think that's in the cards. Yeah. Well, Brad, he, uh, Chris Wilson described him or compared him to Terrence Lang and was excited about his ability to rush the passer. So maybe on the outside, there's a future for Aaron Austin? Yeah, I think I think he's the kind of guy who will play some some downs with his with his hand in the dirt and some downs standing up. Best case scenario, he's going to be kind of that hybrid kind of, you know, he's only 6'3", only 6'3", 255. So he's (laughs) less of a refrigerator than some, you know, he's not Mustafa Johnson. He's not built like a nose tackle, but, you know, depending on his speed level, and that's really hard to tell in, in high school, I think he can contribute on the outside. Okay. Well, hopefully more help will be on the way. The Buffs did get three linebackers out of this class. So I'm going to give you the names, Neil, and you can tell me what you think of them. Aubrey Smith, Yogan Carey, and Caden Ludwig. This was the area that we, Steve did lose a commit. Kenny Soares was a commit to CU and then flipped to Northwestern. Three decent linebackers. Aubrey Smith was actually a four-star recruit in the eyes of ESPN and the uh, linebacker coaching staff seems to be pretty excited about these trio of players. Is one that stands out or one that uh, you think might not be as good as advertised? In watching the video from the CU Athletic Department, the coach that recruited these guys is pretty wild about all of them. They have different body types. One's taller and a little lankier. Um, the others seem to be a little more compact. But they're all big hitters, and hopefully they have the speed and the mobility uh, to play in that scheme. 
again, I, I think they have high ceilings and it's just going to be a matter of we can pound them and fit them into the CU scheme. They could be significant players uh, two, three years down the road. Okay. Well, Brad, Aubrey Smith was a teammate of Victor Venn in Buford, Georgia. Inside linebacker coach Mark Smith was high in his praise of Aubrey Smith. I'm crazy about him. You know, the young man is special. If you like punishing physical, instinctive downhill linebackers, this is the guy. He has it all in one package. So, of course, you're going to talk highly about your recruits, the players that are coming in for you. But uh, sounds like Smith and Kerry, I'm not, you know, Ludwig was the number five player out of the state of Oregon. So he was first team all state. So, you know, again, a huge upside. Again, that was the quote that was used about him. But uh, any of the linebacker uh, signees that you uh, are excited about and think might help in 2022? Well, again, to focus on Smith, one, I love getting players out of the Southeast. Anytime you can go there and bring them in. And if Alabama and Georgia are looking at you, you might be able to play a little bit of defense. And um, Mel Tucker, for his many character flaws, usually can identify defensive players as well. And he was in on him. So, um, yeah, I I like Smith. You know who we think, you know, he, he is built like Nate Landman. Now, very few people are built mentally like Nate Landman. But, you know, he's kind of got that stand in the middle and hit whoever comes your way kind of look. What little I saw, I have no idea if he can cover. But for a run stopper, for a, like I said, hit, see the guy, hit the guy, I think he can, he'll be able to contribute. And perhaps, again, not next year, but perhaps soon. Okay. Well, the uh, class of 2022 has 19 members at this time, as we're recording. Six of them, almost a third of the class, are defensive backs, which, <laughs> considering you have two starters at cornerback that are, you know, Kristen Gonzalez, technically, who's still a freshman this year. Mikai Blackman is sophomore. There's, you know, not necessarily a lot of depth there, but certainly some talent. And yet CU went out and found six defensive backs. So, Neil, I'm going to give you some names, and then you can tell me who jumps out at you. There's uh, safety Xavier Smith, Joshua Wiggins, Dylan Dixon, uh, cornerback Kaysen Mills, Simeon Harris, and then Oki Salavea from American Samoa, a late signee, another legacy for the University of Colorado. A bunch of uh, speedy guys that the University of Colorado signed? Uh, are any of the, the half dozen defensive backs that CU picked up anything that uh, stands out to you? Or is this just, again, filling the roster because there wasn't a lot of depth in the defensive backfield this year? It's hard to judge from the highlight film, as Brad has said. And I think he's right about that. But these kids all seem to have good cover skills. They seem to have good run support skills. They seem to be able to read um, uh, in, in a zone scheme. Xavier Smith is a guy that stood out for me in that he just seemed to be a little more aggressive, a little have a little more range. Second point is I, I was a bit puzzled by them taking this many players because the, the backups for CU in the, um, in the secondary – 
all seemed to draw some praise and to seem to have some potential. So I was a bit surprised that they went this heavily into it. They may be anticipating players transferring, but these kids should be able to add depth, maybe not in 22, but in 23. And I think you have to anticipate that Gonzalez might leave early. So they're going to have to find a replacement for him pretty soon. It's a good group. I'm not sure that it's a great group. I would give it, you know, a solid B, maybe a B plus. Okay. Well, Brad, out of the the six, is there anyone that stands out to you as more likely to see the field early or as Neil fears that it's a a B kind of group with uh, not too much in the chance of uh, getting an A cornerback or an A safety out of this group? Um. No, I, I think they're a, a solid group. I think it is more depth. I think perhaps Dixon out of Texas, he's got a little bit more length. Um, he's got a little bit more size, uh, has the capacity, and, and I think played at a little better uh, quality of program. Um, has the capacity to come in and contribute on special teams perhaps next year and then move up and start playing. I mean, the bottom line is we're going to be playing five and six defensive backs in the Pac-12 for the next for, for the foreseeable future, because uh, that's just the way this is going to work. And I don't think Lincoln Riley is going to turn USC into three yards in a cloud of dust. So, um, you know, we need people to throw at USC's wide receivers at Oregon's wide receivers. And so, yeah, I think this is depth. I think we're going to continue to try to find people who can, you know, we're going to try to make up for in quality because quality defensive backs are not easy to find uh, with quantity and hope we can sort some guys out. Yeah. Well, it, uh, you know, was kind of a diverse group in the sense that there are some size and some speed there. One, one quote I did like from Demetrius Martin, uh, defensive back coach, you know, he, when he was rating the film or discussing the film while he was being interviewed, he talked about that they were good at the moment of truth which I don't think I've ever heard that before, but I mean, talking about when the, you know, jump balls going up for fighting for a ball with a wide receiver that, you know, these players were good at the moment of truth. And I don't know, that phrase kind of stuck with me. I think when they hang on to that one for a while, but some good, I, I do I agree with Brad. I think Xavier Smith kind of stood out to me. Um, he was a former quarterback actually, you know, threw for 1,700 yards and 20 touchdowns, ran for another 1,200 yards this past year. So a uh, dual athlete for sure. And the coaches talked about them having chips on their shoulders, which you got to have for defensive backs. You got to be able to have that, you know, short-term memory. Don't want to use another Ted Lasso quote, but, you know, be a goldfish and, you know, move on to the next play. So we do have some pretty good coaches in the defensive backfield and, They've been producing some good results. So hopefully out of this six, there will be some uh, some promise for the future. And then the last recruit, of course, is my my favorite, uh, you know, Austin Logan, the punter. Welcome. Uh, the special teams coach or as close as CU comes to a special teams coach, Chris Reinhardt, said he can flip the field for us, which, of course, is what you're hoping for from your punter. Going back just to wrap it up kind of an overall thing uh overall picture neil did you see the the 87 video they they did a special on the class of 87 
And that's 35 years ago, talking about how that group helped lead the Buffs to a national championship. You know, it's the class of Eric Bieniemy, Jay Lewenberg, Alfred Williams, Canavis McGee, George Hemingway, Joel Steed. I mean, it's, you know, a bunch of uh, household names if you're a, a longtime Buff fan. What was your takeaway from watching some of the overall production from the University of Colorado as you were going through signing day? I used to go to the um, the banquet the day after where all the, the players were introduced and so on. It was quite an affair. And I would walk away with each one of those going, man, we really hit it this year. These players look really, really good. I'm not sure that this class is the same caliber, the one you mentioned from 87, because that, that was just exceptional in so many ways. And one of the reasons CU did so well was McCartney was an incredible recruiter. And some of the other programs in those territories were down, like UT and Oklahoma and USC. So we were able to get in on kids we otherwise would not have been able to do. This class overall, again, is, is more potential than it is immediate help. And I'm not sure that they're going to be able to lead CU back to the point where they're contending for a conference championship, but they will be, I think, an overall improvement should they develop as we expect them to do. Um, I wanted to digress for just a moment. Uh, the kid from American Samoa is listed as a QB, and I thought Darrell was going to have him come in as a QB. We're thinking about him as a DB. Do we have any idea where he's going to play? Well, you know, he did comment. He said he'd get a shot at quarterback. But I think he also said that Oki Salvea was telling the coach, put me wherever you need me. And with the quarterback room improving, especially if there's a transfer that comes in, I'd be surprised if he stayed at quarterback. But, you know, we don't know. I think if anything was learned by this coaching staff is it doesn't hurt to have other quarterback options you know, rather than have a, a Matt Lynch or something like that, that's, you know, way back in high school, you got both, you know, Xavier Smith and Oki Salavea play quarterback and are projected to be defensive backs. Uh, Brad, I want just two comments uh, or two factoids from the day. I want to get one comment on either one or both. When they were showing the 87 video, they were showing highlights and they were also showing newspaper clippings from the day about who was signing and stuff like that. And I thought it was interesting that one of the headlines was Coloradans spurned Colorado or spurned CU. So even when CU was signing <laughs> CU Hall of Fame worthy classes and all Americans and all conference, all big eight players, there are still articles in the paper about players from Colorado spurning the University of Colorado. And you're going to get those comments again, um, even though there was three buffs that were signed from the state of Colorado this time. The other factoid from today that I want to see if you have a comment on was the 25 signing classes. And I, you know, Neil's comments about the, the worthiness of rating signing classes of the 25 top classes, 12 were from the SEC. And that's not counting Oklahoma and, Nebraska, uh, Oklahoma and Texas, which are joining the SEC. Yeah, so 
In terms of players that are going to be on the field in 2024, 2025, 14 of the 25 top classes in the nation are from the SEC. The rest of the country had 11. So are we just engaged in a pointless exercise here? So either one or both, Colorado and spurning CU being another banner headline this year or the SEC completely dominating college football and it's the end of the world as we know it. Well, I mean, yeah, unless we get every kid who ever played ball um, on a net on a state playoff player uh, state playoff team, you're going to see that stuff. You know, there are good players who leave Colorado. There always have been, and there always will be for many a reason. And as we've talked about, this is just, we're still trying to figure out how things are going to look with name, image, and likeness. We're still trying to figure out how things work with the transfer portal. The fact that a Colorado kid decides to sign with Northwestern or Ohio State or Tennessee uh, doesn't mean he won't be back in two years. So, you know, kids make so many decisions for so many different reasons. Colorado is never going to be Ohio State. It's never going to be Alabama. That was true before the image, image and likeness, and that will be true as it goes forward. As to the SEC dominating recruiting, that's not anything new. I suspect they're going to dominate the national championship playoff as well. I can't guarantee Alabama or Georgia are going to play in the final, but if I had money, and I do, and I will, I'd bet on it. Um, yeah, this is going to be a problem for college football, and it's going to continue to be a problem for college football. And the rich are going to continue to get substantially richer, and I think they're going to have to try to figure out how to make that look better. And um, you know, even getting Cincinnati in this year uh, probably is not going to be sufficient to start to deal with the fact that the NCAA that College football is rapidly becoming a two-region sport, and that's a problem for college football. And, yeah, it's going to – Georgia and Alabama are always going to have good ratings, but uh, they have to be very careful that that becomes a very regional sport because the rest of the country will find something else to do in the fall. Yeah. Well, we'll debate the uh, NASCARization of college football – as we head through the off season, Neil, we've run long, but we had a lot to talk about with the class of 22 being signed. Uh, any words of wisdom you'd like to pass along before we uh, we sign off this time? Uh, very briefly, is don't anticipate this class alone of high school kids that are there are no JUCOs in here, which I think is is interesting in and of itself. And we have yet to see what happens with the transfer portal but they're not going to add anything immediately. So don't get your hopes up that suddenly uh, in 22, the level of play will escalate greatly. And hopefully with the transfer portal, the coaches will address the most glaring problem on the roster, which is the offensive line. And if, if that can be cured, through the portal, then this will be a good class. If it can't, then we're in for another five and seven here. Okay. Well, we'd hope to get to five and seven here at the last week, but didn't quite get there. Brad, any any final thoughts about the class that's going to make up about roughly one-fifth of the 85-man roster for 2022? 
Well, I think this continues to remind us that we have, we're not through the effects of the pandemic. We still have players who are, are they sophomores? Are they freshmen? Are they juniors? That these rosters are going to have to balance out. I like this group knowing that there will be attrition and that attrition is now part of the deal. I think they brought in a very good group to sort from. And that's how college football is going to work now. You're going to bring in all you can and find the ones who can play. Okay. Well, we'll have to let that be the final word. And we will talk again in a couple of weeks, do a wrap up for 2021 and start looking towards 2022. Thank you, gentlemen. Good evening. Thank you. Stuart, Brad, and happy holidays to you guys. Thanks as always for listening. Again, with the off-season upon us, I hope you will remember to subscribe to the podcast. We will be posting new episodes every few weeks with special episodes as warranted. So I hope you will be a subscriber to this free podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. Also, If you aren't already, please bookmark the See You at the Game website so you get all the latest information. The See You at the Game website is updated several times daily, even during the off-season, so please feel free to use the website as your source for all things CU. We ran a little bit over on time with this episode, but I hope you'll agree it was time well spent. Until next time, be well, stay safe, and go buffs. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.